That whatever they're saying about me, whether they like my bags, they like my brand, they don't like it, they don't believe it, they don't think it's cool, they don't think it's a vibe, they would never carry it, they won't buy it. I can't worry about that stuff. If I worry about that stuff, I'll never be successful. I'll never create my dream beautiful product. Whether you're working a corporate job, side hustling, or building a business, Working Girl Talk is the podcast and community for women who work. I'm your host, Abby Zufelt, and I'm here to help you feel confident walking into the workday and to help you get excited about your career. Now, let's talk. Hi friends, welcome back. We are on episode 105. I am so excited that you're here today. We have a ton of news to get through and we have a really exciting interview with Sage Aubrey. I can't even tell you how excited I am to have her on the show. It's so cool to have somebody on the show that I already have their products and I'm just very excited. So a little bit more about that in a sec, but let's dive into our first story. Warby Parker is going public from Axios. So Axios reported that the eyewear brand Warby Parker said this week that it has filed confidentially to go public, although a source does say the company hasn't decided whether to do so via an IPO or a direct listing. So Warby Parker is one of the earliest direct-to-consumer online sellers, I think, you probably remember when they first came out, they've definitely gained popularity over the years. So they were one of the earliest direct-to-consumer online sellers, and they have since expanded into physical locations, though. And the company was most recently valued at $3 billion by venture capitalists. But that's not the only stock news. We have lots of companies. So this, get ready to listen because you can impress everyone you know at work that you know all this stuff going on in the stock market. Sweet Green, one of the earliest, quote, better for you quick serve restaurant chains, according to Axios, has also filed confidentially for an IPO that they learned from, they learned this from multiple sources. The company has been a rumored IPO candidate for years, they say, and is now coming to tap into this post-pandemic growth market. And that's not all. That is not all of BuzzFeed is going public as well. So CNBC reported BuzzFeed, the media company, announced this week that it plans to go public via a merger with a publicly traded special purpose acquisition company. So the company merging with 890 Fifth Avenue Partners is targeting a $1.5 billion valuation. BuzzFeed also plans to acquire Complex Networks, which is a digital publisher that specializes in streetwear, music, and culture, according to CNBC. So lots of stock stuff happening. A lot of companies are filing for IPOs, and it will be interesting to see how everyone does. Please, this is my two cents, please BuzzFeed, have your little ticker symbol, like your little stock name, Buzz. Wouldn't that be great? I wonder if Buzz is already one, but B-U-Z-Z. Wouldn't that be great? So that is my two cents. Hopefully they take my advice. <laughs> and next headline from Pod News, Amazon has made another move in the podcast space. So Amazon has bought the podcast hosting and ad sales company Art19. And no details of the deal were given, but Art19 already hosts Wondery Podcasts. And that gives Amazon access to podcast hosting technology and monetization platform. So they, this company has already been very 
established in that space. Now Amazon has taken them over. And Pod News said that they've been predicting this for a while because Amazon actually bought Wondery last year in December. So they're just getting the whole piece of the pie here. <laughs> Another move in the podcast space. I've reported on Spotify making moves and Apple a lot and it's just getting super competitive out there. Next headline from the New York Times. So we've been following this whole work from home issue that's happening right now, the whole return to work mindset, how a lot of people want to stay working from home. A lot of companies don't. People are deciding to leave their jobs. I've talked about it for the past couple of weeks, actually. And I, I found another piece to this puzzle that I thought was pretty interesting. So New York Times posted an article that said, do chance meetings at the office boost innovation? There's no evidence of it. I'm going to read you a quote from it because it is just super interesting. Quote, innovation isn't always a planned activity, said Tim Cook, chief executive of Apple about post-pandemic work. Quote, it's bumping into each other over the course of the day and advancing an idea you just had. Jamie Dimon, chief executive of JP Morgan Chase, said working from home, quote, doesn't work for spontaneous idea generation. It doesn't work for culture, end quote. So they kind of reported on these, some of the mindsets of some of like the big CEO, the big executives. But then New York Times goes on to say, yet people who study the issue say there is no evidence that working in person is essential for creativity and collaboration. It may even hurt innovation, they say, because the demand for doing office work at a prescribed time and place is a big reason the American workplace has been inhospitable for many people. End quote, end of that section. If you're facing this right now, whatever side you're on, whether you like going to the office, whether you want to work from home, whether you want a mix of both, these conversations are happening even at the biggest companies at the highest level. And I'm this mindset is very interesting. Like, is do you have better innovation in the office, outside of it? These random conversations that Tim Cook is talking about, I see what he's saying, but also sometimes I'm like, isn't that a distraction though? Sometimes you just want to get work done, but then people keep, bugging you i don't know i'll keep reporting on it as i see stuff about it but just know if you're facing anything right now all these big companies all these execs every employee is kind of facing the same thing right now so you are not alone and those are our headlines today i hope you learned something new and enjoyed those now let's get into our interview with sage aubrey handbag designer entrepreneur mother founder ceo those are just some of the titles that sage loman has she is doing it all and she is totally taking over the world and i love to see it so sage started her career in fashion when she opened her first women's boutique in 2004 at just age 22 and keep in mind that she had been in the entrepreneurial waters even way long before then. In 2015, she decided to launch her brand, Sage Aubrey, and it was founded on the philosophy that women deserve honestly priced luxury. We love that. The brand is also built on the foundations of quality, craftsmanship, and kindness to the planet and to women. I could go on and on, but let's hear from the woman herself. Today, we dive into her career journey, how her brand has evolved over time, the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, really inspiring episode and really great for anyone who wants to make a product and make a name for themselves and really make a brand that's community driven. Welcome Sage to the show. Sage Aubrey, the icon herself with us today. I have my Sage sweatshirt on. This is a big occasion for Working Girl Talk. So we're excited to have you, Sage. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's so fun when everything comes full circle and the brand gets to support the customer and it's like, it's so fun that way because I love speaking with my customers and getting to know them like really, really well. And it's so fun when 
um, we can make personal connections like this and we come from the same city and we can support each other mutually. And so that's like a big thing with um, myself at Sage Aubrey and uh, my team. We just like to really make sure we support each other and, you know, our local girl, girl tribe. So this is a really fun thing for me to be able to do. Yay. I love it. We love to hear it. And we're going to talk all about community because you've done, you've done such a great job with that. But as with any working girl talk episode, we want to go back in time a little bit and hear about how, how did this even happen? So if we can, we can rewind a little bit to when you were a kid, like, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, did you envision yourself as a handbag designer? Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't think I really, you know, it's funny. I went through a phase that I can actually remember that I was like, I'm going to be a brain surgeon. Like, what was that? I, that's really bizarre. Um, but the other thing that's really strange about me or like quirky, funny is that I loved cash registers. And like, I would ask my mom to buy me just, I just wanted cash registers. And like, I can't even say the word, but like, I wanted to like, have them and like make my own money and then let be like selling things, which is very interesting. But I always had this vision of when I was younger that I wanted to be this like cool, powerful woman. And I didn't, I didn't associate it with anything because I didn't know what I wanted to become or like what my capabilities were or weren't. And, um, So yeah, no, I just was always slanging things on the side of the road. Like when people were selling lemonade, I was like creating awful potpourri and trying to sell it. Like I've always been trying to sell something ever since I was a little girl. So it's probably just natural that I have my own brand and I'm selling handbags. And it was kind of a family affair, right? With like selling as a a teenager, is that? Yeah. So my mom, sister, and I, we started an accessories business when we were in high school. So that really started from us literally setting up a, um, just a little plastic table at the end of our street where we lived. And we just would stand out there and just sell things. And that was like my first big entrepreneurial, I wouldn't say that was like something that turned out to be massive, but what that what that allowed me to do was put myself out there, get vulnerable at a young age, understand the the developing relationships. So my sister and I were really like the sales ladies of the business, even in high school. And so we really took that little corner, that little side table that was at the corner of our street. And we started to make relationships and bring it into salons and different stores that we were at. And ended up setting up a little boutique inside my parents' house. And so it's like all of those little steps that you understand that you start small and then, you know, the little steps along the way develop into something really extraordinary. Um, We would have still had the business if my sister and I both didn't go off to college because we all really enjoyed doing it. But what's interesting, after I graduated high school, I went to FITM in LA and then I came back. And at 22, I started my own boutique, but what was interesting about that, and it's really like a really good, like all past kind of lead to Rome sort of situation. All of the contacts that we had made for that, like four or five years that we were doing that business, um, I called up and emailed every single one of those contacts when I opened my first store. So it's so important that people don't realize that everything that you do can eventually help you get a foot in the door for your next opportunity, essentially. And so I also really learned that at a really young age in my early teens of how important it was, 
you know, to really cultivate and develop relationships. That even for me still today is, I think, my critical element in finding success in the fashion industry, which we can go into more. But I think that's really important is understanding that what you're doing today, it may not make, may not make any sense, but it could actually help you like in the future. Yes. Sage. Oh my goodness. Already. I'm like, okay, I'm taking mental notes. I'm glad we're recording because you're already saying some amazing stuff. Building that network is so important. And it really is crazy how a lot of things come full circle and you don't even realize how that could ever happen. But it's like, oh yeah, I knew that one person that one time and now I work with them or something. Like yeah. it really that's why it's important to just be a good person and nice to everyone and just yeah. And I always say like your reputation is your resume. You know, it's like you would have no idea how many people who are like are my accessories customer when I was in high school, who was my customer when I had boutiques and now is my customer when I have a bag business. So it's, you know, it's, and now I stayed in this fashion industry, but you know, it's so interesting. Like you have to be so good to people and operate with such integrity because you never know how all, like you said, it's a full karmic circle and everything comes back. I truly believe that. And you mentioned college and a portion of my listeners are in that like college era of life. Mm -hmm. So what did you end up studying in college? And did you have that? Sometimes people have that battle of do, do I go like the traditional career path or do I just pursue entrepreneurship right away? How did you deal with that? Well, you know, school was never my strong suit. I grew up with severe learning disabilities, which a lot of people don't know. I am dyslexia and I have dysgraphia. So for me, school was always a challenge. Um, where I always shined was on like the playground because I was very social and I was also very athletic and very competitive. So I could make friends well and, you know, but I was, um, I had so much fear inside of the classroom because I dealt with so much. Like, I felt like I was always letting myself down, letting my parents down, letting my teachers down. Like, cause I can never do what they, I didn't learn the way, the traditional way that everyone else was like learning. That was really, really difficult for me. And until I got into high school and I kind of felt like I had a little bit more freedom um, in a, in a way I started to perform a little bit better in school. So traditional route schooling was not for me. My parents knew that they still were like a very go to college, get like a really, you know, get a, like a safe, secure sort of education. And it was really me who fought tooth and nail that I was like, I have to go to fashion school. I am never going to be a school teacher or a nurse. Let's just be okay with this. And they weren't, they totally were not my, my, my stepfather at the time was like, I don't know what you're doing going to fashion school. This is not a real education. You're going to waste your time, but you should just go and waste your time. And then you'll come back and get a real education. So I was like, okay, well, at least they said yes. You know, it wasn't like a wonderful, they're excited for me. Yes. But I was like, at least I got a yes. I went to FITM, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in LA. I was actually accepted for cosmetic and fragrance merchandising long story short, I went there when they were just starting the school, kind of like the, the part of the school that I was going into. And apparently I was taking credits to a, um, to graduating in something that never existed. So, oh no. yeah. So I was That's there for about two years and I went to the Dean and I was like, yeah, I still haven't studied cosmetic and fragrance merchandising. 
what's the deal? And they're like, well, that part of your school hasn't actually been set up yet, but you're doing great in this part. I'm like, no, I had zero interest in fashion. I didn't want, I was no interest in like women's wear. I wasn't interested in, at the time they had shoe design, um, merchandising and like different stuff. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to make the hard phone call to my parents and tell them that things aren't going great. And I'll come back to school and just, you know, bite the bullet and like get a regular education. So long story short, again, I went, came back to Scottsdale. I was making up credits at SCC and going to ASU. Um, And then once again, I was in a situation where I was like being, I was a professional makeup artist. I had trained myself professionally. I went to a school here. I started to work on sets And I was once again, kind of developing sort of like traits and different things that once again, work well for me in my career today, believe it or not. Um, So yeah, so I was was going to school. I was also a makeup artist. um, And then I was, I had a bunch of money saved up for my business in high school. And once again, I convinced my parents that I should not be in school, that I should open my first store. So at 22, I took all of the money that I had saved and I took a huge risk and rented a space on a horrible, not like a great part of town. It was like in a C location. And I started my first store at 22 here. So I opened up a women's boutique here at 22. So I went to magic. I went to the trade shows. I did everything. I literally painted and like did the construction with my mom and my uncle in the um, horrible retail location that I was in. Like it was horrible. (laughs) And, uh, but long story short, we opened that. Like I said, I called everyone from the previous business that I had in high school and which doesn't happen often. And the store was actually pretty much like an instant success. That was a lot of fun. So at 26, I had that business for at the time that I was nominated one of the top 30 entrepreneurs entrepreneurs in Phoenix under 30. What was the mindset of embracing that more like fashion owning a boutique side versus what you wanted to do of like fragrance and makeup? Um, Well, I really wanted to be a nose for fragrances. And then I started to learn about being a nose. And I learned that you really had to like come from Paris and be, it's really like a handed down at the time, a generational thing where it's like hand down from family to family. Interesting. And I was like, okay, I'm not from Paris. So I don't know how this is going to work. So maybe I need to just like own stores, sell my stores off. This was like me, a very young twenties. I was like, I'm going to have like all these stores. I'm going to build this like massive boutique, like sort of retail business. I'm going to sell it off. And then I'm going to invest in like my fragrance brand. So that was really like the dream, but the reality was like completely different. So I, I just really had a vision. I, I, we were so comfortable with selling. I was so, I knew like how to kind of like build a sort of retail brick and mortar kind of business. Cause we kind of did that in high school. I was like, gosh, there's no one in the Valley that has this idea where I could dress them like head to toe for like under $150 with like accessories and stuff like that. So that was like my thing. Once again, I loved that business. I loved developing the relationships in that business. I understood so much about the fashion industry. I understood about how to purchase, how to, how many units to purchase, how to like build a floor, how to sell the floor, how to merchandise the floor, how to have employees. Like at 24, I had like six employees. I mean, it was like 
a thing, you know, was all of that going on. Did you learn all of that in school or was that just you on the job learning it? That was me on the job. Wow. And I worked like I, you know, it was so funny because at the time when my friends were out at the club, like partying (laughs) and like going to sorority like things and like doing like all this stuff and like working in the bar business, I was like literally had so much stress at such a young age of like running. I had multiple retail locations, you know? Yeah. It was a really, um, I grew up really fast, you know, and I took on a lot of, um, liability at such a young age. Like, and I think that's the naivety of that was really great. But now that I look back at it, I'm like, gosh, what I would have signed like an eight year lease. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't even have like attorneys really even look over my like signing into these leases. Like, what was I thinking? But also at the same time, um, that pressure and understanding like how I had to perform was a huge learning lesson too. I've heard that sometimes being naive to things, it's better in the long run because you definitely wouldn't have done it if you would have known everything coming for you. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I think you always just have to jump in naive because if you start calculating everything, it's impossible. You're starting a boutique when you're so young, your college friends aren't doing that. Did you ever have any like naysayers, people like, what are you doing? Like they just didn't get it. And then how did you not listen to that? One, I think the biggest influence at that time was really my parents and they didn't really get it. And then they started to see that I was building success really quickly in what I was doing. So then they were like, oh, okay, maybe she's on to something, you know, like, but they still, they were like, you know, we're really, we're really, my mom always supported it. It was like my stepdad that was not very pro it. So, but once he started to see that I was, you know, I found a really great niche and I was doing really well at what I was doing. I think they started to come around to the idea of me, like, you know, doing my thing. As far as like naysayers in, I'll tell you a really interesting story. So when I first opened my store, when I was 22, I had, um, I didn't, I, I had worked a lot with people, but I didn't really realize 90% of people are wonderful. If there's only, or maybe 95, there's only like a one to 5% chance that people, some people suck, you know, and you get a bad apple. And I'll never forget. I was, um, I was feeling so vulnerable. I just opened my store. It wasn't as beautiful as a lot of the stores in Scottsdale because I didn't have the money to do. I didn't have the capabilities of doing that. And I remember this one gal came through, she was like ripping through the clothes in the store And she was just like pulling apart everything in my displays and stuff. And she was like, oh, this stuff is horrible. And I will never forget. I was like, I like literally had to take multiple gulps. And still to this day, I remember she left and I just cried. I was like, that woman, what she was doing, I wish she would have known at that time, like I had invested all of my money that I had all of my heart. I was going on such an out on a line. My parents were quasi supporting me. It was just at that moment, I'm like, it was just so heartbreaking. But then at the time I, and now I look back at it, I'm like, gosh, if I walked into a store where there was a young girl who owned that, I would be like, who are you? What are you doing? You're on to major things. Like, this is incredible. This is a great place to start. Like I would, I just, so I think about people like that. And I'm like, she had nothing going on. She was just bored and it really broke my heart. And then, so as you get into business, 
And when you own something, whether it's a product or a business or a service, it's so hard in the beginning to build like a callus. And I don't want to say you become mean or anything. It doesn't change you, but you just learn to build a certain level of walls around you where at the, when someone insults you or isn't for you or isn't pro it, or doesn't, it doesn't believe in it or doesn't understand it. A lot of times there's nothing to do with them. You know, and what a lot of people have to understand is like, you have to start somewhere and you have to start bad at whatever you do. You have to suck. You have to literally be like, I'm okay today at sucking. And I even was like that when I started Sage Aubrey, I'm like, this is horrible. No one's going to buy this bag. It needs to be better. It needs to be prettier. It needs to be, you know, I'm not with the right manufacturers. The leather's not right. The, you know, like everything was wrong. But if I would have quit at, you know, back when that gal came in my store and ripped it apart, if I would have quit back then, if I would have quit last year, if I would have quit six months ago, I'm, I'm giving in to those people. So my mindset is always like, one, I'm too busy sewing so much stuff, sewing like the next opportunity. I don't even know what goes on. I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. Cause I'm like, I'm so busy trying to cultivate the next thing that whatever they're saying about me, whether they like my bags, they like my brand, they don't like it, they don't believe it, they don't think it's cool, they don't think it's a vibe, they would never carry it, they won't buy it. I can't worry about that stuff. If I worry about that stuff, I'll never be successful. I'll never create my dream, beautiful product. You'll get caught up in something that's just such a waste of your energy because you can't control those people. You can't control their thoughts. You, it doesn't matter, you know? Totally. You are speaking to my soul, Sage. I think that is so true. Why not focus on the people that actually love you and want to support you? Make them happy. Focus on them. It's not worth yeah. devoting energy to people that don't. So a yeah. very important lesson. And you brought up the bags. Yes. So I want to dive into that. So as you have this boutique, did that ever cross your mind? Like I want to make my own product, my own bag. So I think after selling product for so long and then having the stores, it felt like a natural progression. Like as I started to go to the, um, the clothing trade shows and I started to see all these other people who had brands that they were there selling the stuff that I was selling in my store. And so I was like, Oh, maybe I want to get in on the other side of the business. Maybe I don't want to be in retail forever, actually. Maybe I should create something that I can come to these shows and I can sell. That boutique opportunity allowed me to understand how people started things and then created them and then sold them. So that was the first great concept for me. So what happened in 2009, obviously we had gone through the recession and the economy had just like, you know, obviously it was slaughtered. Arizona was, um, I lost my business at that time, made a decision to close it. So I had online at that time, I was popping up in three or four different locations at that time. And I was just signing on to a second, almost like a third location. All of a sudden my sales had plummeted like 60% overnight. We had fought tooth and nail for the company. And then finally I was like, okay, this isn't going to happen. They weren't lowering my rent. So I was out on so much liability every single month. And it was just getting to a point of, um, it was just like out of control. I decided at that time that I was going to close the business and take a break for like a year. I was like, I just need to take a break because I had been working like day and night, seven days a week. Um, and I never took breaks. 
And this was like a chance for me to kind of just like sit back and like really kind of evaluate what I wanted to do next. Cause I knew there was something next. I just didn't know what it was going to be. So, um, at this time in all of this, like craziness, I got married and, um, I ended up moving overseas with my husband and I got into philanthropic work overseas that I'd actually really invested two years of my life into. And, um, changed entirely as a human and as a woman and came back in back to the U.S. in 2012 and fully ready to like go on this next journey of like who I was going to become and what I was going to create. We got back in 2012 and I went straight to the clothing trade shows where I knew where all my resources were. That's all I knew of. I had never been professionally taught. I'm a self-taught designer. I had zero contacts. So the only place I knew to go to start digging up contacts and to start understanding how to get into the other side of the business was to go back to the trade show into like the sourcing departments. So I did that and I made a decision one day. I was like, it's either going to be handbags, watches, or sunglasses, because those were like my three favorite accessories. And ironically, I read a article on Rebecca Minkoff, kind of like the week before I was going to the trade show and read her story and I was like hmm if she can do it I can do it because she seemed like an ordinary chick and so that was something that was a really interesting conversation that I had with my husband I was like she just seems like a normal girl who just went for it you know like if she can do it I should be able to do the same exact thing so crazy enough as it is we were at the clothing trade show like a month later or something like that timelines are probably a little skewed um but Rebecca Minkoff was there talking about her line and so I freaked out because I was like, oh my God, it's meant to be like something's telling me that I'm supposed to be designing handbags, like this is it. And um, so at that time I had been working on some prototyping and some ideas about how, what I was going to do. And I sat in this like kind of um, breakout sort of like session. And it was this gal who was supposed to be like the guru of like handbags. Okay. So I go in there and I'm sitting in her like little short master class. And afterwards I go up there all fresh and like vigor and had so much energy. And I was like, I'm going to start a handbag line. And, and she's like, well, what price point are you thinking? And I said, well, it will probably be in like 300 to $600 range. She's like, good luck. So I was like, wait, what? And she just looked at me and she was like, good luck. Don't quit your day job. Like a total snatch. So I was like, okay, I don't think I'm onto something here or I, I, I just, something's going on here. I'm not really sure. I'm like, I'm getting really bad vibes from this chick. So I go back, I, my husband was with me and I just started bawling. I was like, she just basically told me not to quit my day job. I'm like, I don't even have a day job to quit. Like I was a wreck. So that was another interesting situation in all of this. Cause that, woman also comes full circle here um that was really complicated for me so i remember i went back to my husband i was like i'm doing all the wrong stuff and i've got this wrong idea again and i just need to i don't know what i'm doing and i really didn't know what i was doing like i was just excited about the opportunity of creating something and i feel like yet again i kind of ran across another push person that was like good luck like squished me you know so that that's so common and that happens all the time you know what i mean like even still today there's i'm always like trying to reach out to new contacts or new people or whatever and there's i still run into people that are like good luck i don't believe in what you're doing or good luck you're not right for me or 
you know, like it's, it never ends. It's like a constant sort of thing that you're like having to overcome. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So long story short, we leave there. I find a sample maker in Los Angeles to work with. And we start going through prototyping. He is an Italian Iranian gentleman who's helping me. And he and I fought a lot about everything. And um, one specific day, this was a huge learning lesson for me too in the fashion industry. He was like, look, and he's like, you don't know what you're doing and you're not going to be able to do it. So here's the solution. And this is after like three to five months of like working with him. He brought out a, a catalog of Louis Vuittons, kid you not. And he's like, flip through this, find a style that you think you're attracted to. I'll, I'll mock it up for you and we'll just stamp your name on it. And then there you go. You'll have your own brand. Wow. And that once again was another one of those situations where I was like, okay, I need to really figure out what I'm doing here because I'm going to get eaten alive by 15,000 different sharks if I don't get a grasp on like what I'm trying to create here. So I really had no idea. I would come in with all these pictures and ideas and all this stuff. And um, I started to research the history of handbags. And so I started to read about Louis Vuitton and Givenchy and uh, Yves Saint Laurent and all these people and how they created their signature, like how they created the signature in their brand. And so I started to read more about that and read about Hermes and like how they created their signature. And so everyone started with one iconic signature something, you know, like Coco Chanel started with something, Givenchy started with something. And so I was like, oh, I have to create a signature, something in my collection that makes my bag when it stood next to Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Givenchy, all the big guys that makes it stand out. And until I figure out what this key shape or statement iconic shape is going to be, I can go no further. Like I've got to spend all of my energy in figuring out what that iconic shape is going to look like. So for the next six months, I literally sat in my little apartment bedroom, like a psychotic kind of creative. And I started to just rip ideas of like, okay, that's cool. Then I would start and going and like buying handbags and I would disassemble and I would put them back together and I would try different shapes and I would go and buy tons of different hardwares. I mean, literally I'm just self-taught from a desk. And one day I was messing around with a shape of a bag that was like really flimsy. And I figured out my like iconic shape that I have. And I was like, I got it. I figured out this unique shape. Like now how do I make this like a 3D sort of like situation that I can present it to a sample maker and be like, this is my iconic shape. How do we make it beautiful basically? So I did that. I went to Michael's, I went and bought construction like paper and I had tape and I had all my stuff. And I literally spent another like couple months, like a psychotic person, creating this 3D model of this ideal handbag. I would try it on. I was like, no, the millimeters are off. The millimeters are off. The millimeters are off. This is off. This is off. This is off. Until it finally became the Luna Tote. And it. that was after, you know, probably a year and a half of trying to figure out the signature and bringing it together. 
Um, and that was me just sitting in my thoughts and this vision of having this very structured handbag for a woman that could also be attainable and create inclusivity in sort of a luxury sense before all of this was ever a thing that's today where Instagram's made fashion very accessible and more inclusive where when I first started to designing in 2012 it wasn't like that it wasn't in Instagram was just kind of coming up you know people weren't totally selling the way they were are on there today you know yeah so um yeah so we kind of got to this place where I was like okay I finally have my signature now I can go and start to understand how to bring this into like a living form and so that process just so all you guys know out here is that it took me almost four years from inception and thought of what this was till I launched in almost 2016. Wow. There we go. Right there. That is such a good thing to just know and be aware of. Like there's no such thing as like, Oh, a quick track and everything is going to be perfect. in like a short amount of time, like things take so much time. So much time. And like, you know, um, there's so much to my story and there's so much perseverance and resilience and, you know, manufacturers, no one wants to work with you when you're just starting out because I didn't, I didn't protege with anybody. I had zero distribution and my sample sucked. And like, everyone told me that like everywhere I went, they're like, no, this sucks. No, this isn't good. No, you don't know what you're doing. No, you should just go hang out with your husband. Like, why are you trying to create something? Like it was constant. Like it was literally a 90 degree angle at all costs. Like it was just complicated. And so, you know, I, you know, it's so interesting because for as hard as I've worked, I still am like, I sh- I'm like, I feel like I should be more successful, but I think that's the way it always is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so fun to see the brand really starting to just like, like have so much fun. Like, I feel like we're having so much more fun with it now because it's starting to like catch attention and, you know, people are really starting to purchase it and purchase it outside of Arizona. And, you know, like we're starting to have global customer base and nationwide customer base. And it's so fun to see this little brand, this little idea, this concept that I just never gave up on, you know, this idea of that I could become this woman that I want to become. And I didn't realize how hard I was going to have to fight and how difficult it is to create something that's original and then to figure out how to make it into something that's beautiful. And people don't realize that that takes so much time, you know, like everyone just wants to look at something and be like, Oh, how do I get that? Or how do I do that? And what so many people don't realize is that that's just years of hard work and failures and resilience and getting knocked down and getting back up and, Um, I can't tell you how many times it's been where I'm like, oh, I'm just done. Like this, this effing sucks. Like I'm just throwing the, I'm throwing the white towel and I'm I'm over it. And I feel like I do that almost every year because you're always dealing with so many challenges. What keeps you going when you have those thoughts? Why don't you quit? For one, I'm not a quitter. Like I don't have a lot of quit in me. And two, there's something that gets me up and drives me to this brand, this idea every single day, you know, like I'm a mom of three girls, but this is also like, I've invested such a large part of my life in building this. 
and the idea of what I wanted to do for women and for the fashion industry and um, for other women to look at and be like, gosh, if she did it, I can really start doing this, you know? And so I think it's the idea of what it can create and um, how it can inspire others is what really keeps me going. I think there's something really to that. One thing that I'm always passionate about is what makes people successful. Like if you've ever read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, like the founder of Nike and how he got there so many crazy things to even get like the shoe made. And then like, I'm just thinking of you, like so many things happen to even just get the prototype made for the bag. And if you think about all these people, it is that resilience, not giving up because nobody's first product, first pitch was ever the best it could ever be the first time. So I think that is super important to keep in mind for sure. I think that if anyone who's creating anything or starting anything, it's like, you just have to be uncomfortable with the ugly and know that you're working and that time you've got to, you've got to give yourself, okay, five years. If in five, if in one year I've made this much progress, the next year I'm going to make that much progress. The following year is going to be that much progress. And that's how I look at everything now. Like I look back at my Instagram from like a year from where I was today. And I'm like, gosh, we've made so much progress, you know, like in, creating this beautiful brand and like your day one or day 15 or two year end can never be compared to someone's not eight, nine, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15 year end. So it's always so important to remember that don't get skewed, you know, try to find people's backstories because I'm telling you, I'm sure they've walked through H E L L and back you know, to do what they're doing and to stay consistent on it. Totally, totally. And I wanted to talk about the mission behind Sage Aubrey, the brand, because I I heard you speak once at like a virtual like webinar. And I remember you talked about the intimidation factor in the fashion industry and how you didn't want that. Like you wanted to be like anti-intimidation, very accessible. And I remember I was like, I feel so seen because I never realized that's what it was. But sometimes stepping into like a high-end store, or even when my husband and I were looking at engagement rings, some of like the super fancy places, I was like, I feel like I don't belong here, but like I should, but I feel weird. (laughs) Like, why do I feel like this? So why was that something that was important to you? Well, I think like you, I'm a normal chick who, you know, actually, generally when I go out to shop, I look the worst you could ever imagine a human looking. It really is because it's like, oh, I've got three minutes to go in to Nordstrom's and try to buy three pairs of jeans, two shirts and like a jacket, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or like a dress. And I never look great. It's like when my hair is on top of my head, but it's like, I don't want to be judged for that. And I also don't want to feel like I can't walk into a store and spend money and be treated nicely if I don't look a certain way. Like all of us as women, I always think about like, we live such multifaceted lives. All of us are doing a lot of stuff and it's not easy to always be on and to have to look perfect and, you know, to have to display this image or whatever. Right. So I was like, one day uh, we were, um, I was selling in, in like large, large luxury retailers all over the world. And I walked into one of the stores and obviously the people didn't know I was the designer. And I felt like they were really rude on the sales floor. And I was like, well, I wouldn't want to buy a bag here. 
why would someone else want to buy a bag here when a girl who has the capabilities to come in here and to purchase this nice, beautiful, large ticket item, she's going to feel so uncomfortable and awkward and like she's being eyed up and like she's like, you know, being salivated over for some commission check or something. And I was like, I just don't want my customers to feel like how I just felt here standing here today. And so I think it was just a real moment of like a real human just being like, I think I can do better. And so I just made it a huge mission of mine that if I had felt that way, I know other women had felt that way. And I just don't want women to feel like, I feel like we should be rewarded. You know, generally when we're making a big ticket item purchase, it's because we've achieved something We've had a child, we're celebrating a birthday, there's a milestone in our life. And at that moment, we should feel like we're killing it, like we're on top of the world and we should be treated and respected in that manner. And so I just think that there's a lot of things in the luxury industry that are very antiquated and the mindsets in the industry are horrible. The way they wanna sell to women, how they wanna capitalize off them, they don't care how they have to do it. And if intimidation is one of the highest forms of selling, you know, they use it in banking, they use it in car sales and they use it in fashion. And cause they know the, the worse you feel or the more vulnerable you feel, the quicker you are to make a purchase because we're community driven people. We're not people who, you know, we want to feel like we are accepted and that we belong. And so when you make us feel like we're not accepted and we don't belong, then they know that you are quicker to make a purchase. So I just thought, I started to research it after I had that experience. And I was like, this is, if I do anything in a legacy form, it will only be, it's not about money for me and it's not about the ego. It's about making women feel more comfortable. And that's our job as women to do that. So when we create business, because other people aren't gonna do it for us, you know what I mean? So I always take on, I put the pressure on myself to be like, okay, well, if I want the change, I have to implement it. And it has to start at, you know, the foundation of what I do and the integrity of what I do. And so that's when I decided that I wasn't going to sell into large retail. And I pulled out until I could control the way the people that worked on my area of the sales force, how they treated the people, because I think that would make a huge difference. And so that was just a big decision, scary decision on my part to do that. But I feel like if more leaders don't stand up to say, I don't approve of this, and I'm also going to take the risk to fight, not fight against it, but just to do it better or kinder or different, then things are just going to stay stagnant. So, and I just feel like myself as a creator and someone who's supposed to be pushing the boundary you know, socially, I feel like this is one of the ways that I'm trying to do it. So cool. I love it. And I feel like from that concept, it has stemmed this whole community around it because I was even in the doctor's office the other day and I had my pink bubblegum Sage Aubrey bag and the girl was like, Oh, is that a Sage Aubrey? Oh, cool. Like I have one too. Like you make connections. And I'm like, I don't know if that happens with every product or if I had a different bag and I don't know if that would happen. So I feel like it's created this whole like community around it too. Yeah. And I think that's, if I care about anything, that's all I care about. Kind of like when you used to look at a girl with a handbag, you'd be like, oh, she's wearing like whatever. Right. 
and you kind of make an assumption about her or you're like, she's kind of standoffish because she's got like this super swaggy like designer bag. She's like, F you, I've got my armor on. And I'm like, I want it to be a conversation piece where we can connect. Like, why do we have to be pushed away from one another from something? Like, why can't we wear things that represent like who we are and then make it as a terms of communication and connection and community. And so that's really like, and I love hearing that story because that's whenever I hear my customers like, oh my God, we ran into each other or people send me pictures or yeah. something. I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like that's all I could ever want. I can't believe how fast time is flying. I know, I probably talked way too much. No, no, you are good. I love hearing all the stories. This is so interesting. I wanted to dive into the brand's evolution, because now that you've, you've had, you have this handbag company, how it's evolved. And even recently, like how it's kind of evolved even more still, can you kind of talk to that? Cause I think sometimes people are a little apprehensive about changing up their brand or their look or even their mission, because it's like, oh no, this has been working, but we want to grow still. And we want to evolve, but we don't want to surprise people. So how has that been for you? Cause you guys just did a evolution. Yeah, we've been like totally evolving over here at Sage Aubrey. I felt like it was like the perfect year in 2020, 2021, just because people were at home, they were just not purchasing bags as much. So I really had a chance to kind of deep dive into what I was doing. And I'm like, how can I make this better and like shock people? And so I kind of look for that factor where I want to shock people and I want them to talk and be like, oh, that's so interesting. Like what's going on over here? Because it creates interest and interest is very important in business. I think, I always think of like that Coco Chanel quote, like if you're um, in order to be irreplaceable, one must always be different. So I think it's really, really important that you have to understand that your business, your coaching, whatever you do, you are ebbs and flowing with consumer trends. You are, you are literally on a wave with everyone that you are communicating with, that you are selling to, that is interested in you, that's watching you. So it's so important that you are flowing where they're flowing. And if you think that you're creating a product or a service and it's going to be relevant, what you created today is going to be relevant maybe next year or two years from now or three years from now, it's probably not going to be. So a part of our job as business owners, creatives, me specifically in the fashion industry, is always to be pushing the boundary of where are my customers next? Where are we going to? Where, what are we creating here for them? How do we take them through this next sort of journey and how can we go with them? So that was a really intuitive thing. And then um, also I started to bring some younger people on my team that are young millennials or, you know, like X and Y to have them start coming in and being like, this is what we should do for social media and different things. Because, you know, that's the young millennials are the big purchasers on Instagram. So how we look and perform on Instagram is for a certain demographic. You have to also understand where the niches, where you're selling and like what those niches need, want, what they need to look and feel like as well. And some people don't like change. You know, I've had people message me and be like, oh, you're going so um, corporate fashion. I'm like, you don't even know what corporate fashion <laughs> is. Like we are the furthest thing from corporate fashion. We are having fun and we're going to push the limits and we're going to take you guys with us to have a good time. So that's our job, I think, as creators and business owners. So I think it's always so important. I always tell people, I'm like, 
you got to understand where the consumer's at or where your customer's at and what they're doing. And then you need to figure out how to be a little bit ahead of them. Such good advice. Something super important that I think we all should think about no matter the service or product that you're selling is how can you really be serving that audience and be on the forefront of how to help them. Time is flying by. So we are going to dive into the working girl talk top 10 round, even though I could literally talk to you all day. So one day we'll have to bring you back because yeah. this has been so good. Yes. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> okay. First one, my first job ever. Oh, I worked at my dad's um, dental clinics. My day is not complete without my girls. I mean, my, I have three little girls, so my life is not complete without them. I'm obsessed with blank right now. Whatever. What are you obsessed with? Oh my with? God. I'm obsessed with this new face spray that I just got. And I wish I knew the name of it. Cause I feel like everyone should purchase it. Ooh. It has like all of these scents of like vanilla and chamomile and like lemongrass and you spray it on you and you just feel like you're like shiny and alive and it just makes it wakes you up. It's so good. So I'm obsessed with that. And one more thing, this stuff, it's called tan Lux. It's this like gradual tan. So you put it on like now and by like Saturday, you're like living in Jamaica. Someone that I look up to. Oh boy. Um, you know, this may sound a little cliche and cheesy, but I always look up to my husband because he is like the OG hardest working. I learn everything from him. Like if I didn't have him, I am such a creative, I would have no discipline. Like I'm all over the place and scattered and like a hot mess and just, and I feel like he's so like consistent and works so hard and is like perseveres and resilient and he's just incredible. So I always like, honestly, when I think about, should I just go to the dandelions today and be a creative or should I like really work hard? I always think about my husband. So I have to say him because he's really like what inspires me every day. And I think it's just the discipline and the daily habits that make you successful, you know? I love that. That's so cute. I think that's awesome. Next one, I'm currently listening to. So this could be a book, a podcast, a song. What are you listening to? I listen to Buddha Bar all the time. Um, and I just got Coldplay's new song, which I'm obsessed with Coldplay. So those are my two new things. My favorite workday snack. Oh, I'm always snacking. I like eggs. Ooh. I, like eggs. I eat hard boiled eggs all of the time, which is bizarre and may sound disgusting. So I eat eggs. And what else do I snack on? Oh, I like dried mango. I eat a lot of dried mango, mm -hmm. which sounds weird, but I'm really picky about my dried mango, but I eat dried mango. I have blank at my desk always besides the snacks. <laughs> Honestly, like to-do lists and papers and like invoices and nothing sexy. <laughs> My desk is always a mess filled with like invoice that I have to get through or like accounting or something. I feel most confident when? I love really like dressing up. Like I like to look really nice. I like to leave the house in a real, just a nice outfit with my bag to finish it off. I like to do errands that way. I like to grocery shop look nice. If you just, I feel like people are nicer to you when you dress nice. I know it sounds really cliche, but I do, there is something about when you see a woman and she looks really like put together and beautiful and like, or doing the best she can in walking whatever she can at the best she can. 
I like that. So I like leaving the house dressed up. Proudest moment in my career so far. Uh, one of them, when I was selected for the Fashion Institute of Technology, their designer entrepreneur program, which is a really esteemed program at FIT in New York. They select uh, 24 emerging designers to be a part of their program. And I was selected for that in the 2019-2020 class. So that was a big thing for myself. And then when we launched back in 2016 and I was found by the fashion director of Bloomingdale's in the Middle East and they liked my product and believed in it enough to put us on their floors for spring of 17 and so forth. But um, that was a really proud moment. That is so cool. I love it. And last one, number 10, I am inspired by blank. I am inspired by anybody who creates something and puts their heart and soul into creating something that they envision for a better future for whatever it is, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a product. It can be a service. It can be anything like now that I know how hard it is to find, to create something, find success in it, sell it and how much time it takes and the discipline and the perseverance in it. I have so much respect for anybody who creates something and then finds success in it. Cause I just, you know how hard they've worked. Even if they make it look easy, they've worked really, really, really hard and they've sacrificed a lot. And I love reading about that. That really inspires me. Like when I read, instead of ever, like this is something else I always do, instead of ever being envious of anything or something or people, I'm like, how do I get their backstory? So that's what I love about like podcasts and books and just articles, because I'll go and read people's like backstory. And then I'm like, oh, okay, it took them 15 years. Like, yeah. and that, and then I put my, and then I put time frames in my mind. So I'm always working on like a five-year time frame. Like I've started building things today for what I want in five years from now. That inspires me. Such a great way to end the show. Where can everyone follow Sage Aubrey and check out the bags? Yes, at the Sage Aubrey, T H E. S-A-G-E-A-U-B-R-E-Y. I'm like, how do I even spell my name? Uh, <laughs> on Instagram. And then also on our website, it's sageaubrey.com. And we would love any feedback for you guys to check it out. I know this is a long-winded. I probably spoke way too much today, but um, there's so much to share. And I hope that any little nugget inspired somebody to either just keep going today or to go out there and find what they're looking for and just start trying to create it. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Sage. She is so incredible. Make sure to check out Sage Aubrey handbags, which leads us into our Friday favorite. Every Friday, I share something that was a favorite this week. So something that I liked, something that I watched or ate that you need to know about. And today's is definitely my Sage Aubrey bag. I love my Sage Aubrey bag and I I could be the spokesperson for Sage Aubrey handbags because I love mine so much. Great quality and it really is a showstopper everywhere I go. People love it. So that is definitely a Friday favorite. Love all the colors too. Make sure to screenshot this episode as you're listening right now. Share it to your story. Tag at Working Girl Talk and tag Sage Aubrey as well. So we can both see what you thought of the episode. And make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Did you know that even if you've left a five-star review before, you can leave one again? Yes, if you want to do some charity work for Working Girl Talk today, 
leave a five-star review and tell us what you think of the show. We love to hear what you have to say. And that only makes the podcast get seen by more people. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful work day. I will talk to you next week. Thank you.